Uh, good morning. This is Kevin Evans with Crossroads Assembly of God Church. This is the chapter by chapter live class. And we are finishing up Luke. We're in the final four chapters. Uh, Christ has already had the triumphant, uh, excuse me, the uh, 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 march into Jerusalem, whatever that term is called. And uh, he is clashing with the powers that be at Temple. And Luke is recording a lot of the uh, conversations and illustrations that Christ said while he was there. And so we are in chapter 21, which uh, begins with a short little uh, 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 aside that Luke includes called the widow's offering in my Bible. And uh, then it goes into this big, long segment that my Bible calls Signs of the Ends of the Age that is complicated, and we are going to wade in and fall in over our heads, and uh, Clayton is going to uh, rescue us all and drag us all out when we're done. I trust your assessment. Do you? Do you? Kevin, he has more degrees than me. I just want to make sure this is clear. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said you have more degrees than me, so I just want to, you know, I toss trust that out your there. Knowledge, yeah, well, I, I, I am a, a lowly layman teaching ordained ministers in this class. It's really not right at all. I, Kevin, I have utmost confidence in you. Okay, good. In your ability. That's so nice. Okay. Uh, verse <clears throat> one. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor woman put in two very small copper coins. So he turns to his buddy next to him and says, I added that part, I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So God doesn't want our money, right? Does it matter? No, no. The way I heard, or the, I'm trying to remember, was it David Jeremiah said this? I can't remember. He doesn't want our money. He wants our hearts. Yeah, it's not really the money. It's the sacrifice. It's, it's our hearts. Maybe not even the sacrifice. It, 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 yes. He gives without complaining. I don't think the rich guy was complaining. No, but Paul said it in a way. He said, "You give of a joyful heart." Cheerful not, giver. Yeah, yeah, and not you know. I take it another level. Grudges. Another level there. The fact that she gave everything she had, she was literally saying, "In total abandonment, I'm going to trust God." It's a, yeah, that's a trust. Yeah, I'll give it all. I trust God to take care of it. That's all God. And, and as I debate with you, the uh, two copper coins constitute a value of basically nothing. So she's giving her last nothing to God and depending upon her nothing. Is there sacrifice there? Christ said there was. Because it's all she has. Because it's what she can. I want to go back to David Jeremiah because okay. I may be messing the, the name up, but I think it was him that said this. He was preaching a message on giving in the church. And the worst message that a pastor always preaches on is about tithing. 
Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, I preach on tithing not because God needs or wants your money. I preach on tithing because God wants your heart. Right. He said, it, it, it's about heart. And, and, and all ever, what everybody says is what it's about cheerful giving. It's about sacrifice. It's about trusting me. It, God, God doesn't need our money. You know, the television preachers and the radio preachers, God, if you don't give this money to this ministry, you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. No. If God's behind it, your ministry. If God's behind your ministry, it will not fall. Right. It's not about that. No. It's about your heart. That's what God wants. God, God will. God, if God's behind your ministry, it will. It will. Not just God use money to keep ministries. Well, it's the world. We have electricity. The electric company wants money to give you electricity and stuff mm-hmm. like that. <coughs> God, God's not like oh, angels. Start shutting things down at eight o'clock because we got to watch the electric. Right. Heaven's a little bit low on cash this month. That's the way some television preachers make it out to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not God. It's about our heart he wants. He's, the rich young ruler I talked about a couple chapters earlier or whatever. It was, you know, it wasn't that Jesus said give everything to the poor because that's what we need you to do because heaven needs you to do that with your money. No, he said, I know what your issue is, rich young ruler. You got a materialistic problem, and that's what I want to deal with on you. Right. About your heart. It's kind of like we had a we had a storefront little church in downtown Garland. We had all these big churches around us, you know, the big Baptist, big Methodist, and all this. And yet people would come to us because they would send them to us that needed help. Like we had a man that Safeway closed their distribution center, just closed it all of a sudden, you know, because they, they were having a strike and they decided they were going to teach the employees a lesson. So they just closed everything and he got stranded. You know, and so they sent him to us. You know, instead of them helping them, yeah, yeah, brother, I, I can attest to that. And, and, but, but you know, the <laughs> thing is that we we helped these people when they came as best we could, and we never had enough money to pay our bills. And somehow, God always provided to where we could pay the bills and keep the rent, the lights. <laughs> the so big churches kept sending us to people like that when I was a poor church planter. Yeah. It was really yeah. weird, man. Yeah. But you know what? Faith and I saw more miracles when we were church planters and had no money than when we had churches. That, that's what I was trying to say. I mean, our church yeah. survived. Our, our church survived on, on a small group of people that somehow the bills were always paid with the lights always. Even though we looked at things and thought, well, this month is going to maybe impossible, but it always was because, mm-hmm. and I think it's because we did that, you know. I, I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm going to turn away money because I won't be too big. I mean, if God wants me to win Publishing Clearinghouse and get $10 million, so be it, Lord. But, <laughs> yeah, come quickly. <laughs> but, but, but I will say this, in our times of need is when we've really learned our dependence on the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the miracles happen. Right. And, you know, when, when, when I was a church planner and we didn't know, what, you know, my goodness, we really need to take up the offering this week so we can pay I need my wife to pay her tithe so I can get paid, right. or I can pay the electric bill. That is when we uh, we saw the Lord really moving. If we were pastor, we never pastor a rich church, but if we pastored a rich church, you didn't see that as often. Yeah, you know. So it's it, it, it really is showing where your heart is when you really have a want, and so. When you had someone come visit your church and left a $100 bill in the offering, we were shouting joy, and we, that was the cheerfulness, the joy, the wow. Whereas, if, I don't mean to come out as against them, but when you were a church that didn't have those needs, 
and so we left a hundred dollar bill in the he went, Oh great, we're thankful that it wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. I just want to say that uh, like we say kind of wrong this pastor, Jesus is saying to store up your treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, your heart is there also. So that is pretty much what what you know, what's happening in verse, you put those two couple coins and as he said, and that's pretty much all she had to live on, and that shows where her treasure is. She did what Jesus said, it's where your treasure is, your heart is there. Okay, well said. You know, you gotta, you know, what gets me is all those big churches. What are they there for if they're not there to help people? I mean, what are they there for? I mean, just to show or what? You know? Programs. Huh? Programs, entertainment. Hi, Liz! Thanks for interrupting my class that I'm currently recording and posting on air. Hey, look, everybody, it's Liz Divick. They're your markers. But wait. He might share her markers. But, you know, let's not, let's just not. They're wise people. Upside down, like you're going through a uh, one of the the toll road checkers or whatever. They made a lot of noise. Okay, that makes sense. One last thought. Okay, I was just going to say, even though this is off topic, you guys are talking about you know big churches. And it just made me remember that it was on the news, and there's this pastor, and his pastor's wife was on the platform. The pastor was speaking, and this was live stream, and some guys in mask came. Took the pastor's wife's jewelry and ran off. Oh yeah, now I know what you're talking about. You know, now I'm like, they, he, 
The pastor and his wife had thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on them. I mean thousands of dollars, probably equal to $10,000 worth of jewelry on them. And they were doing a live stream church thing. And I guess these, these people saw them with all they that. Took the jewelry. They ran up there, grabbed the jewelry. I mean, this guy had a gun, right? So this that's guy why, That's why Clayton won't let me wear jewelry. I mean, <laughs> this guy had a gun, and the pastor's wife was down on the platform and came and took off all the jewelry and went off. All right. I just realized I spelled Jerusalem two different ways in the same sentence. That, oh, that, that's really? a classic Evansism right there. Evans, yeah, okay, thank you. Okay, moving on, moving on. I think we, we could talk about offerings all day. Uh, okay, so what happens next? Uh, Christ has been preaching every day, based upon the last verse in this chapter, in the temple. And uh, more and more people are coming, and he's got a little revival going at the temple. So he's preaching to crowds. And at the end of the day, um, they leave out and, and go home. And so they, they leave out by, the, they go, the, the Mount of Olives is down to the south of uh, Jerusalem, fairly near the temple, I guess, within walking distance, obviously. And uh, Christ would walk to the Mount of Olives and pray, and because it was cool there in the evenings, and so they would go there to chill out after after preaching all day. And of course, his disciples followed him. So as they're leaving, one of those days, the disciples are remarking on how beautiful the temple is. Have you ever gone to a church and then thought, "Oh wow"? You know, that's what they're having that conversation that I've been to a lot. Oh, wow, I wish our temple, a steeple looked as nice as their steeple. Oh, wow, do we have a big cross out in front? No, not yet. We're working on it. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Now, so here's the story on the temple for those of you that aren't scholars. I had to go look this up to make sure I had this straight. Uh, they built a temple when Moses came to town, which was torn down by the Babylonians and they went into captivity. Okay? So it was wiped out. And then after they came back from the Babylonian captivity, they built a second temple on the Temple Mount, which was all they could manage. It was smaller and functional, but you know, it, 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 was, it was the best that they could do, being refugees out of Babylon and not being terribly, you know, rich at the time. Uh, Herod comes along, who's really, who's Jewish, but not. He's of mixed blood. He's not really a believer. He is an autocrat underneath the Romans, and he wants to show off his kingdom. And the way you do that as a king now as much as then is build stuff so that people say look it's Herod's castle it's it's the great tower in London it's you know whatever it's it's this big massive construction that blows people away and that gives you status as a leader so Herod being the king of Jerusalem uh, did what comes naturally to uh, autocrats and he went to the temple and made it pretty. 
They renovated. They rebuilt things. They expanded the footprint. And he's still kind of following the layout of the temple. I mean, it's still according to the writings of, of you know, uh, Moses. But uh, he brings in a lot of gold because he had some. And he brings in a lot of white stone. And they do a lot of white stone facade work. And, uh, and it goes on for several years, this construction project. And they do this big facelift on the temple. And so it's, they, they started calling it Herod's Temple after he started that, which is exactly the point. He needed it to be called Herod's Temple because he's building his own reputation. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, the disciples are coming out going, you know, I, I don't like Herod, but this place looks great. You know, that, that's what they're saying. And so Christ kind of challenges them on it, and he, he tells them that it's all going to fall down. And they go, wait, what? And then we go into a very complicated teaching from Christ that's all over the place and was big because it, it left them with their jaws hanging because it shows up in pretty much this form in all four of the Gospels. And, you know, and so it's kind of important to take apart because he's talking about two things at one time and which makes it kind of confusing. Uh, theologians, uh, I, I'm sure that, that, that Clayton Yeck studied this at some point when he was in seminary, uh, talks about the principle of double reference. Do you remember principles of double reference? Okay. Uh, and basically, there are several times in prophecy where Christ is talking about, he mixes prophecies, basically. He's, he's talking about this thing that's about to happen, and it is something that's about to happen. But that thing is a picture of this other thing that's about to happen. And, and I don't know if it goes on from there. That's a picture of something else over here. You know, it's, yes, it's, so, so this thing that's about to happen is a symbol of this other thing. That, and, and, and yes, this is going to be bad, but really we should learn something with this because this is going to happen after that. And so he's giving them this long-range view of prophecy and human history. A lot of people put it into Revelation, too, like it's going to happen here and then it's going to happen in the future, too, as well. Some places in Revelation, too. Yes. Like Nero and the Antichrist. Yes. And so, <clears throat> and so uh, just to, before we get into this, uh, this is taking place at 35 AD, assuming Christ was born weirdly 2 BC. That's when they place it, just because the original people that set up years were trying to locate his birth and they missed it a little bit after they lined everything up. But anyway, uh, he, he, this is 35 BC, so right, basically 35 years after Christ is speaking to his disciples. Uh, the Jews rebel once again and have an armed revolt against the Romans. The Romans were massively bigger than they were. And the Romans marched in multiple armies, surrounded Jerusalem, took a tenth of them captive and, and drug them off into slavery, much like the Babylonians did. And then they slaughtered everyone else. 
1.1 million Jews. When they were done, there were no Jews in Jerusalem. None. Then they burnt the city, didn't they? No, then they moved in. They wanted the city. Yeah, the point was the city. And so then they, they moved in and the Romans took over and they reassigned, you know, then the king gets to come in and say, oh, I like you, you can go have that 50,000 acres and, and you know, and then they, they, they kind of divvied it up and they started over again. And, and uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Rome, I, I mean, Jerusalem ended at that point as far as the Jews were concerned. They didn't come back until... 1946. Yeah, and so uh, it, they, they, they crushed the Jews and uh, then after that the, 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 the land changed hands by multiple you know emperors and did what uh, one, one empire fell and another took it over and the Crusades, the, the Crusades and the, the Muslims moved in and said it was theirs and there was the rise of Islam and it was it was cast into off to the you know the, the heathen and did not come back until after World War II and the Allies reestablished it as a Jewish nation and this is a very recent thing Jews being back in Jerusalem looking at it from the context of history somewhere in all there they, did, they destroyed the temple yes 70 70 AD they completely took apart the temple Herod's temple did not stand at all so they can't find any of that white rock and all the gold is gone. I don't, think the, temple, I don't think the temple was ever as beautiful as it originally was when Solomon built it. Oh, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you. If you, if you read the description of what Solomon built, I think that was the most beautiful. That uh, was a tent. I think it's scripture. Some of the people <laughs> oh, cried Solomon, right, right. The second temple. Some people actually cried because they remember the first temple. I actually read that in the Bible. You know, some people actually cried when they saw the second Okay, so having said all of that background, let's take this verse by verse. I'm not going to read the whole segment because there's just too much to chew on. Uh, and we need to figure out exactly what they're saying in each verse because one verse will refer to one uh, incident and another verse will refer to the next incident because it's kind of telegraphing that incident. And when you get down toward the end, they're, they're, they're kind of hitting on both of them, you know, and so they, they blend together almost. It, it is, which is why we need to take this slow. So, some of, verse 5, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones. They were all white. Did I mention that? And with gifts dedicated to God. That, that was all gold. Did I mention that? And Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And they asked, I'm thinking that was Peter. Peter asked, teacher, when will these things happen? Well, that's an honest question. That's really honest. He didn't say, all right. Yeah, he didn't say, are you sure? He wants to know when. And so I think that that's the question that I would ask. Are you serious? When is this going to happen? 
And Christ gives him this bizarre answer. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Okay, the answer was 35 years. It's going to be 35 years, Peter. I think if I were editing the Bible and I wanted to make sure that it was clear, I would just write 35 years. If that's not what Jesus says. But it wasn't 35 years. Yeah, because, it was yeah. 70. No, no, no. no, no. This time, it was 30. Oh, this, no, this, is, this is 35 oh, yeah, AD. Yeah, so in 35 yeah. years, this is when it's all going to fall down. Yes, but he doesn't say that because that's not the important question. He's two steps ahead of Peter. And so Peter says when, and he's really not dodging it. That's an overstatement. But what he's answering is, is you know, I, I'm not going to tell you when, but this is what's important. Be careful who you listen to. But people are going to say when. When is a big question that is going to screw you poor people up for the next 2,000 years. Get over the wind. That's what that's what he's trying to say. And so, you know, and, and, and there have been incident after incident after incident of, of false messiahs or big preachers uh, with this huge following with this prophecy because they've got specific dates. And those and people follow them because that's very enticing when we get specifics. If they read the if they really read the scripture, they'd read that nobody knows the date and time. And these people are dangerous because it, they're scandalous. Are just fools. I think they might just be fools. But the thing is. If you've got, if, if, if you are preaching to a Christian believing congregation and you convince them that you know that the end of the world is going to happen in, what was it, January something in 1846, then, then you have kind of put a fine point on their Christianity and suddenly their whole faith uh, warps into your version of it which gives you a lot of power as a false person. But when, when you fail, because it's going to fail, what happens to those people? You know, uh, our, okay, I'm going to brutalize church history here. Uh, we had a Puritan movement when all of these uh, people rebelling against the Church of England who want to get back to the Bible, very legitimately so, and are interpreting the Bible in their own language and figuring that out, uh, start running away from a king who's trying to dominate their faith as well as their, his, his civil authority. And, with Amer and they all rush off to America where they can hide because that's what America was built on. A bunch of people that didn't really want religious freedom, they wanted religious authority. 
They wanted to establish their own colony with their own rules where they're the head of the religion rather than the king of England. They didn't come here to be free. They came here because they were right. They found religious freedom. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, had, they, the didn't, they didn't like it. They, they, didn't, like, they didn't like that at all. Had religious That's freedom. right. That was Other people were having influence <laughs> on them. That's they wrong. No, we don't no, 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 no. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that loses emphasis. It took about four generations. And, uh, and, and people fell away from the church because all the Quakers and the Puritans and it ended up fighting each other. And then we have all these Anabaptists running around and what are they? And, you know, uh, it, it all kind of dropped off. And you have all, and there's this massive we push west into undeveloped territory where there are no churches and no schools and people stop attending church because there ain't one, you know? And, and the next two generations don't read and they don't go to church. You know, they, they don't have any religious background. They, 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 they're, they're, they grow up lost because they grew up in the middle of the jungle. Okay, wilderness, we'll put it, call it that way. We don't really have jungle. It's, not, it's an arid climate, I agree. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was drifting into a, another lecture. Anyway. Uh, but there was religion, but it was the Indian religion. Uh, you're getting me off a point. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, there was a religious awakening. And you had people, the, 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 the whole Puritan... Presbyterian Calvinist view sort of kind of dropped back and religion became much more democratic and much more accessible to the common man and all these denominations blossom out of this and suddenly there's all this religious movement and God really has his way in America in the <clears throat> early 19th century like 1820-ish and then we have the, the Mormon, John Smith. John Smith. So, so he, he jumps in the middle of that. People are hungering for God. And he says, oh, wait, God just visited me and gave me all this information. And all these people following him because they're hungry. And he takes them to Missouri and on out and keeps rewriting the gospel as he goes. And there were others, specifically a gentleman named Miller, who was basically, you know, when you look at his doctrine, he, he feels kind of evangelical Pentecostal, he, either, except for the fact that he had specific dates on everything. Maybe not Pentecostal. No, 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 no he was close. He, he was, wasn't he a branch of Seventh-day Adventist? They, they, they grew out of yeah, him. Yeah, a branch off of him. Yeah, they were a branch of his teaching. But basically, uh, he, he's pretty solid Christian, and he's got this huge following. He's a charismatic minister. People show up for the show and walk away convicted. You know, uh, he, he's good. And then he starts saying, oh, yeah, God talked to me, and here's the date. And I've been studying, and, and this is when the world is going to end. God is coming to bring his kingdom, and it is going to happen at this specific date in 1846. I mean, I forget what the, what the date was. I should have written it down. And so... They all go, oh, really? Well, that, that kind of makes sense when you think about where we are in history. All these people have come into this new world. They're redefining a new society. 
doesn't it make sense that God's millennium would come at the end of that? I mean, and establish the perfect society that everybody is striving for? I mean, this is the American dream, is for God to come down and establish the perfect city. That's what we want. So it, it fits. It makes logical sense. And so they follow him. And they, and they say, well, the world's ending at this time. Uh, I don't need to plant crops next year because we'll be done here. This is the last day. And uh, so they sell their property and they give it to the poor and they follow Miller and th they actually meet on the top of a mountain. There was a gathering and they were going to stand there and wait the appearance of the Messiah. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And they wait. Actually, Miller died. It was within months of that. And, and he's disgraced. And I'm sure he did some fast talking there at some point. But he was as shocked as everyone else. And, and then he dies, so he can't really answer for it. And they call it the great disappointment. And so all these people who have put all of their faith in all the scripture and everything that Miller said have been proven to be wrong. Now, here's how it unravels. If Miller was wrong, then we have to discount everything that Miller said and everything that Miller said was based on scripture. So that means the scripture is wrong. And if the scripture is wrong, then is God really there? And if God isn't there, then I've been wasting my time for the past 20 years and all of this is tomfoolery and I am really embarrassed. So they all slip into it. Yes. How rude of him. And so they fall away and they become agnostics. And I'm not saying that happened with everyone because the Church of uh, Seventh-day Adventists did grow out of the Miller's movement. They were the leftovers, but it was a very small remnant of that leftovers, mostly. It, it had broad-ranging effect. We had this huge uh, revival, this great awakening, and suddenly we have all of this depression from this betrayal that God has given us by not showing up when he said he was going to. And all these people that weren't even Millerites start falling away. It starts a trend. And it's the end of the Great Awakening. It, it, well, I'm not going to make that broad of a statement. But it was it slowed things down. It had a huge negative impact. And you can look at all the other various cults of American history. And let's be fair, I think John Smith was a genius. Evil, but a genius. And, uh, you know, he should be up there by both great Americans like, you know, Thomas Edison and George Washington, but just on the other side of things. He's, he's amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that, different, that's a different lecture. You gotta give him credit. Wait, As a con man, he's the greatest con man ever. Con know, men should study him in con man school. But you really can't change the one I got. Why would I want more? Why? <laughs> 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 That's
that's another argument. But I mean, okay. but it's not just these cults. We've got within mainline Christianity people who have done this. Explain. Well, I will be more direct. Y2K was used by mainline Christians to say, this is it. Yes. 2000, they wrote books. They sold books. Your yes. money's going to be useless. I asked the question, and I got criticized for it. If our money's useless after January 1st, 2000, why are you charging for it? <laughs> uh, I was called a man of no faith. That's the psychology behind this. This is how they work. If you don't buy my words and believe what I'm saying... You're in danger of losing your salvation. That's why these people follow them. I don't want to lose my salvation and not sound like a Christian, so I'm going to believe this guy. Uh, TBN. I will start using names. I might as well. Please do. TBN no, as the guy that came on and said on this date in 1990-something, God, uh, the Lord's going to uh, tear the evil out of the world. They went 100 miles. Is that going to be the rapture? Is that going to be this? We don't know. And the guy says, I don't know. And people start speculating. The church we were serving at the time, people were going, oh, my goodness. something." And they were going, oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be this. I said, people, that's not how prophecy works. God does not do throw mysteries out. He said, this is what's going to happen. That's yep. a prophecy. And that came along. And all the people that were so big into that prophecy, and the guy came out and said, well, it happened in the God does prophecy, folks. False prophecies. Because then they back it up and they say they always have a reason to explain false prophecies. This does not just happen with cults. It happens with charlatans within mainline Christianity. I mean, what about politics? Well, and po well, what it says about there's so many false people who come in mind. Who, who, what is, what, how did it work? I don't have my glasses on. What did you uh, in my name, or say I am He. We keep thinking, well, we gotta, we gotta watch out the people who say I'm Christ. That's not what it says. They're not saying I'm. God doesn't get in front of the camera and says I'm Jesus. That's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're being warned against. It's people who go in front of the camera and say I am the hope. I am the answer. I am the one with all the knowledge. That's what He's talking about yeah. here. And that's why it can be a preacher. It can be a politician. We're going to be swept away by the power of influence. Not about someone getting up saying, I'm Jesus Christ. We're not that stupid. Yeah. Christ is not well, saying, well, some we are. We kind of. <laughs> some are. We but are that most, stupid. Seriously. Look at the people in our church, yeah. for the most part. Uh, you know, if someone gets up on camera and says, hey, I'm Jesus, follow me. The people in our church are not going to follow that. Except for three, and I'll give you the name. <laughs> but, 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 someone getting up in front of the camera who is charismatic, who has influence, mm -hmm. whether it be preacher, politician, celebrity, does a message like, I have the answers, I have hope, let me throw some out here, some truth surrounded by a lie. That's what's going to persuade people to follow that person. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The preachers who get up and say, I got a date, and here's the reason I got a date. Follow me, and then people follow. Intelligent people, for mm -hmm. the most part, will follow. That's what he's warning about here. The false prophets are not idiots. Right. But don't you think a lot of that, the root problem, is that people are lazy? Yes. Because <laughs> it's easier to just follow something like that than to have to dig in and understand God's word. It's not stupidity. It's 
Well said. Thank you. Couldn't have taught it better. We are completely out of time, and I've got most of this reference left. So we are going to pick up at verse 10 and jump back into this next week. And uh, uh, Kenny, bye. Say hi to Jennifer.